A curious burglary. From the outside the gallery looked fine and I couldn't see any evidence of a break-in. It was disappointing to see the closed notice on such a fine day but until the police finished their work it was an unfortunate necessity. I pushed open the door and was instantly greeted by Honey who was wagging her tail so hard that her hips were swaying from side to side. All the frustrations of the morning melted in the warmth of her greeting. There is absolutely nothing that makes you feel better than a loving dog. Oh John, isn't it awful? Elizabeth Reynolds, my assistant, rushed from behind the counter and I could see that she had been crying. She obviously needed comfort and it was natural to wrap my arms around her and hug her. I was rather annoyed with myself because I continued the hug for a few moments too long and from the reactions of my body it was no longer the innocent comforting of a friend and colleague. Elizabeth definitely deserved better from me. She was still in her thirties and, therefore, far too young for me. My annoyance turned to shame, that I could be entertaining lecherous thoughts while comforting a fellow worker after the death of a mutual friend was completely reprehensible. It was, however, with some reluctance that I released her. During the time we had worked together in the gallery I had come to know her story. Twelve years ago, she was in a high-pressured job in London, and she was married to an abusive husband who, since he worked for the same company, controlled every aspect of her life. One day everything boiled over, and she left her job and ended her marriage in quick order. Although I don't know for certain, but I believe that when her marriage got into difficulties her immediate boss suggested that breaking up with her husband could have unpleasant consequences at work. I do know that she walked out of the marital home took a taxi to the nearest station and bought a single to the end of the line. It was fate that took her to Waterloo and that she caught a train to Weymouth. She drifted for a while but took a night school class in pottery, fell in love with the medium and six years ago started producing art pottery in Chidiac Whitchurch. When the cooperative were given their new building, she became potter in residence at the Laughing Labrador Gallery and my able assistant manager. To complete the picture Elizabeth is a pretty, auburn-haired woman with flashing green eyes and the temper that accompanies the coloring. She is a delightful lady who has seamlessly fitted herself into small-town living. She walks to work every morning accompanied by Frodo, her large black and white Tom, who views himself as the gallery's alpha animal. Fortunately for all concern he gets on well with Honey. I knew that if I were ten years younger, I would have made a serious attempt at romancing Elizabeth. The truth is that she is too young for me and if I tried anything like that with our age difference at best it would be a complete embarrassment at worst, I would destroy our friendship. I turned and looked rather disconsolately round the gallery. If I were honest with myself, I now bitterly regretted not making the most of earlier chances and if I wasn't careful, I would move seamlessly from a single middle-aged chap into a lonely old man. One of those invisible elderly people whose social lives rotate around their animals. I sighed a bit too loudly. A penny for your thoughts. John, Elizabeth startled me. You look quite distracted, a murder and a robbery on the same day is a lot to take on. The burglary of course. I had a quick look round, but I couldn't see any signs of damage, I rather mendaciously replied. There isn't any damage. I found the door unlocked when I arrived this morning the police suggested that I forgot to lock up last night. Elizabeth sounded angry. I know I locked the door. You did. I was with you if you remember. Anyway, I don't think the police believed me, but they did ask for a list of key holders, a faint smile illuminated her face. The constable was rather shocked when he learnt that all the full members of the cooperative have their own keys. While you've been enjoying yourself with the police, we've had the scenes of crime officer in, and he's finished all his work. I was just starting the tidy up when you arrived. The police told me that the thief has taken all of Gregory Adams' paintings, the gallery's computer and our backup CDs. I looked around as I spoke, was anything else stolen? It wasn't all the backups, just those for the last two months.
the thief also left the cat's protection charity box, the float and our tea money, Elizabeth sounded puzzled. All that was taken was anything that might be directly or indirectly related to Gregory's exhibition. I worried for a moment over how much to tell Elizabeth about Gregory's death. Then I remembered that in a town the size of Chidiac Whitchurch, with its well-established rumor mill, she would soon hear all the relevant details anyway. The facts that she heard would be embellished with grisly details and by being truthful now I might save her some pain over some imagined atrocity. I turned back to her and took her shoulders gently in my hands. When I found Gregory's body, he had been stabbed but the killer had taken the time to drive a paintbrush through each eye, Elizabeth gasped in shock as I told her the bald details. Grimly I continued, it sounds like the killer was trying to send a message, to destroy his eyes and take all his paintings seems to me that they were trying to destroy his vision, both literally and artistically. But what relevance can his artistic vision have anyway? He was a man who painted prawns and other crustaceans doing things like dancing or having tea parties. I had to agree with her on that point. Gregory's version of Jack Vetriano's brilliant The Singing Butler, which had two prawns, in full evening dress, dancing under an umbrella held by a crab while a third prawn looked on, was well executed but decidedly bizarre. What are we going to do, John, without Gregory's paintings how can we do a retrospective of his work? I still have copies of all his paintings on my laptop as he gave me digital copies of the photographs of all his finished work. He also gave me a copy of his notes on each piece, so I know where he sold them. I'll contact the owners and see what we can borrow. If not, we'll talk to the rest of the cooperative and do a retrospective on someone else, possibly it might be a good idea to celebrate the founding members. I smiled reassuringly, one thing's certain, with your help I'll be able to stage a really great exhibition. Well perhaps, she sounded a bit unsure. I've got copies of the backup discs at home I'll email them to the gallery account tonight and we can download them when we replace the computer. I started towards my office, I'll just go and change while you put the kettle on and then we can clear up this mess and still open for at least some of the day. It had slipped my mind that I was looking after Henry until I entered the office and saw him lying on the old sofa that we placed against the back wall to make the room more comfortable. There was something terribly sad about him, the sense of his loss was almost physically palpable. I went over to him and stroked his ears. In response he lightly licked the inside of my wrist. I have always known that dogs and cats can feel intense devotion and, after years of knowing them, I believe that they can experience love as we do ourselves. The wild versions of our domestic pets show traces of these higher emotions but in the domestic breeds, where the animal hasn't got to strive for basic survival, emotional behavior has a chance to develop. I know many people would vehemently disagree with me, but I feel that if a creature can show love, then they have a soul. Whether I am right or not I had a seriously sad staffy on my hands. Only time and love would make things better for him. I stroked him again and then spoke reassuringly to him as I changed into my paint-spattered working clothes. Elizabeth and I soon set the gallery to rights, to be honest there wasn't much disturbance from the burglary and most of the mess had been caused by the scenes of crime officer when he dusted for prints. It might be far-fetched, but it looked to me like Gregory's loft had suffered unnecessary damage while the gallery had been turned over in a very precise manner. Either there was personal spite against Gregory, or the burglaries were the work of different people. Feeling quite pleased with this great piece of deduction I mentioned it to Elizabeth who rather reasonably pointed out that there must be an element of spite involved for someone to drive paintbrushes into their victim's eyes. She also suggested that the killer had been short of time when he broke into the gallery. About 2.30 the door opened and turning I saw Tony Marsh enter. In one hand he had a carrier bag with the other he was balancing a tray of takeaway cups. Hi Elizabeth, John, I thought you might be too busy to think about lunch, so I bought enough for everyone, he greeted us while setting his burdens down by the gallery's till. 
I hope hot chocolate's okay with you both, I asked Mrs. Heaton to add extra chocolate. Supposedly it's good for stress, and I know you've both had a bad morning. Thanks Tony, Elizabeth said as he knelt down to properly greet Honey. I'll take it through to the office and we can be a bit more comfortable. Tony had bought some of the key bakery's large baguettes, which were prepared with home-cooked gammon ham and some very nice apple chutney that is made on the premises. I opened mine slightly and saw with pleasure that there was a slice of good strong dorset cheddar lying on top of the ham. For several minutes we sat in companionable silence as we ate. I hadn't realized how hungry I was until food was produced, left to myself I would have probably skipped lunch. The food really deserved our whole attention. Mrs. Heaton pre-boils her hams in a cider and herb mixture that leaves the meat really moist but with a delightful apple flavor that contrasted with the cheese, which I recognized as Old Harry a delightful Dorset cheddar, to produce a simple meal that was fit for the gods. I reflected on how lucky we were to have Tony working for the cooperative. He is a very pleasant and outgoing young man who is reading philosophy at university and has worked for us during his vacations for the last few years. When he finished his secondary education, he decided to take a double gap year the first to travel and the second to earn money for his education. He works very hard and plays with the same intensity and is often to be found at the beach taking part in a variety of sports that all relate in some fashion to surfing. After we had finished eating, he asked me about Gregory and the murder. Believing that it is better for the real facts to be known rather than the rumors that rapidly spring from the fertile soil of a small town's gossip I filled him in on the complete facts, as I knew them. As Tony also works at the Fisherman's Arms in the evenings, I knew he would dampen the more extreme rumors including, hopefully, any about me being taken off in a police car. When I finished Tony leant forward and said, I had a visit from the police while I was working in the shed this morning. They wanted to know about the burglary here. I couldn't help them, as I hadn't seen anything out of the ordinary and I have no reason to come round to the gallery anyway. Behind the gallery we rent another old agricultural building from the estate. This divided equally between an extra studio and a storage area that Tony dismissively refers to as the shed. Both the gallery and the studio as the rest of us call it are old buildings constructed mainly out of stone and are quite soundproof. Could you help them at all? I asked when he finished. Not at all but I suggested they talk to Mark as I thought I saw his land rover turning out of the yard as I was approaching it this morning. I also suggested they speak to him, since the gallery shares a yard with the estate office. I'm surprised that Mark didn't see someone stealing Gregory's paintings Elizabeth interjected. I tried ringing him but there wasn't any reply so I've left a message on his phone asking him to come over when he can. Why? I'm sure I locked up yesterday but as the door was open I we need to ask Mark to check the lock and, if necessary, change it. Thanks Elizabeth, I smiled gratefully at her. That was well done. We chatted about the mundane matters of running the cooperative, the exhibition and who would fill in Gregory's session with the next week's art course. To my surprise Tony volunteered to do a session on frame making and framing on the Wednesday afternoon. I decided to attend the session myself. If it went well the cooperative might be able to offer a weekend course in mounting and framing. After a few minutes general chat Tony reluctantly got to his feet. I've got to go to the timber merchant if I'm going to run the framing session. Is there anything you need? Can't think of anything at the moment, I replied. Thanks for asking, do you need the money up front? No, just reimburse me tomorrow. He walked over to the office door, stopped and turned round, Henry looks very sad, would you mind if I took him with me? A road trip might cheer him up. I nodded my consent and Tony left with Henry. Taking his departure as a cue, I followed him into the yard and walking over to the gate slid the sign so that it read open. As I walked back one of the estate's land rovers drove past me and pulled up at the estate office. Mark Bulmer, 
the estate manager swung himself to the ground and walked over to where I was waiting. He was a friendly and efficient man who still looked, even in his early sixties, like the army officer he once was. Good afternoon, John, I hear you've had an interesting day. I was sorry to hear about Gregory's murder. He was a good man. You've heard about the burglary? Indeed, I have, a damn fool of a detective was trying to tell me that you'd left your door unlocked. Told him that was poppycock as I always check all the doors, the galleries as well as the estate buildings before I go home. I raised an eyebrow, you may look quizzical my friend but until your cooperative took it over those converted barns were part of my responsibility. It's my habit to check. You can set Elizabeth's mind at rest, the police were trying to convince her that she'd forgotten to lock up. Never, she's far too efficient, that one. He snorted with a remembered glee, you should have seen his face when I said that the murdered man must have had his own keys as a member. I walked slowly back to the gallery as we talked and waved him through the door in front of me. Afternoon Elizabeth, he greeted my assistant. Just telling John that I checked the doors before I went home last night, and the gallery was definitely locked. That's a relief, Mark. I was worried that the insurance would use the suggestion that I was careless to wriggle out of paying. I've already put the police right, I'll testify that you locked up if necessary. He ruined his avuncular image by treating Elizabeth to a wink straight out of a Victorian melodrama. Any chance of a coffee as this pirate intercepted me before I could reach my office, and I've had a really trying day. What did the thief take? Mark asked me as Elizabeth made her way laughing to our coffee machine. All of Gregory's paintings, two months worth of backup CDs and our computer. They left our float and the charity box behind. Do you think they knew that you had copies of Gregory's paintings on the computer? I shrugged my shoulders. I couldn't say but it looks like someone desperately wants to remove all of Gregory's art. Elizabeth returned with two mugs which she passed to us, I'm sorry but the coffee's a bit stewed. But it's strong and hot. Mark took a copious swig of the coffee that to my palate would have been more suitable for filling a hole in the road. About your problem, someone has a key to the gallery so I've asked Ian to pick up a spare, he changed the locks at Grebe Cottage last week so we will put that one in here pro tem. Mark was suddenly all business. It's not a great lock but it will do till tomorrow when I can get a better one. It may take some time to get all the keys you need so in the interim if you pick up the key from me in the mornings and drop it back into the office when you leave. You said you'd had a trying day? Elizabeth asked. What happened? Just after 6 this morning I received an anonymous phone call on my mobile. A voice, which I now think was vaguely familiar, told me that Mr. William Sheep were in the road. He then hung up. Where? I asked. That's the problem. Mark sounded exasperated as he remembered the morning. I tried to ring back but the number had been withheld. Police think it was probably an unregistered mobile anyway. Why would the police say that? They think that it was to lure me away from the office as the gallery was robbed. When I got to William's farm, I found that some nasty vandal had opened several of the gates and cut the fences in 13 places. To cap it all he had dragged some of the posts out with his car. As it is state land. Mr. Willems, his son, Ian and I have spent all morning putting things to rights. The gallery door opened, and Mrs. Stedman entered the gallery. Leaving Elizabeth and Mark in conversation I went over to help her and spent an enjoyable ten minutes telling her about the various acrylic mediums and showing her examples of the effect of the gloss and matte varieties on the treatment of light in various of the displayed paintings. By the time she had purchased one of each as well as a sand texture medium Mark had gone. Elizabeth and I were discussing the new developments when the door crashed open and a large man entered, seeing as he waved and a deep voice with a trace of a Welsh accent boomed, is it true? Has someone finally done for that rat Gregory? Morgan, that's not nice, 
Elizabeth remonstrated with our visitor. Someone's killed Gregory in a very nasty fashion. John here found him, mutilated but barely alive. I think he suffered quite a lot before he died, does that make you happy? I'm sorry for my insensitivity, Elizabeth. Of course, I wouldn't have wanted even him to suffer. But I'll not pretend that his absence makes me happier than his presence. Morgan shrugged expressively, anyway that's not why I'm here, I've got three paintings for the gallery. I hope they sell quickly as I need the commissions. Can I have a hand bringing them in? I willingly followed Morgan outside to his old Land Rover where he unloaded three very attractive seascapes that we carried carefully into the gallery. Morgan remained with us for a while enjoying a cup of coffee and looking at the new exhibits in the gallery. He was undeniably pleased that the theft of Gregory's paintings meant that his seascapes could be displayed instantly without waiting for other work to sell. Once he left, I turned questioningly to Elizabeth. Why is he so happy that Gregory's dead? It goes back a long time, before I arrived, when the gallery was located in a small shop off the main road and there were only about seven members in the cooperative. Apparently, Morgan was close to winning a major commission at a local school for a mural in their entrance hall. Everything was arranged except for the final signing of the contract. The planned design was a triptych covering the top half of three walls of a new entrance hall with the front wall being glass, so the painting had to be fade-resistant. The subject was Dorset history, the first panel was the Jurassic era to the Romans, the middle the Dark Ages to the 19th century and finally the modern age. Wasn't that the winner of Britain's best wall art on Channel 4 in February? But I seem to recall it was Gregory's work. It was one of the reasons we decided he would be our featured artist at this year's exhibition. The link to the television series was supposed to attract more visitors. It was indeed Gregory's work, but it was Morgan's design. I looked at her and she saw my puzzlement. Knowing that he had to finish it during the summer vacation Morgan realized that he needed some help completing the work in time, so he approached Gregory, whom he viewed as a friend, one Friday evening. Gregory said he was interested but needed more information before he made up his mind. Trusting in his friendship Morgan explained everything to Gregory including showing him the finished design. Gregory asked Morgan for a few days so that he could see if he could move other commitments. Unbeknown to him Gregory did his own version of the design and approached the school on the Tuesday. Knowing what the school had been willing to pay Morgan, Gregory was able to undercut the price and got the commission. I think that it was pretty rotten of the school to act like that. They felt that they were acting for the best. Several years earlier Morgan was doing some classical romantic pieces and he took a few photographs of very young children as models for his cherubs. Someone complained and he was arrested for creating pornographic images of children. The magistrates threw it out when Morgan showed them the finished paintings. They accepted that he was unwise rather than perverted. However, Gregory must have kept the original newspaper report of Morgan's arrest and persuaded the school that there was no smoke without fire. They couldn't take the risk of employing a known pedophile, so Gregory got the contract. Needless to say, Morgan's hated him ever since. Especially as the loss of the commission meant that he and his wife were forced to move in with her sister. A woman Morgan always refers to as Grendel's mother. That's a bit harsh. I shouldn't be telling you this, but I know I can trust you to be discreet. His sister-in-law, Allison, has a degenerative disease and is now wheelchair-bound, Deborah acts as her main carer but Morgan is required to help move transfer Allison from the bed to chair and so on. Unfortunately, whenever tension occurs Mrs. Taylor tells me that the sisters take sides against Morgan and that he is deeply discontented. I would never have thought that Gregory could act so nastily, he's always struck me as being a great bloke. You were one of his close friends and never saw his nastier side, but every now and then Gregory could be very unpleasant, especially if he believed that someone was standing in his way. 
I heard that he was invited to go on a stag week to Las Vegas by his half-brother. I remember being told it was being organized by a local rugby club with which the half-brother played. Gregory wanted several thousand pounds in a hurry and cheating Morgan was the most expedient way to raise the money. While the humans were busy Frodo made his way over to Honey who was lying in a patch of sunlight. What do you think about all this? He asked the Labrador. I don't like it at all. Poor Henry, I feel we need to be vigilant until they catch the killer. I don't want my master to be hurt. I feel the same way about my human. Now that she's been properly trained, I'd hate to lose her. That wasn't what I meant though. Honey raised her ears questioningly and Frodo elaborated. When your Tom came in, I thought for a glorious minute that the two of them had finally realized how much they care for each other. I know my queen really cares about him. She sometimes talks to herself. She's very lonely and I know your Tom is too. It's a mystery to me, Frodo. If only they would use their noses. I often wonder how they've survived for so long, let alone their delusion about being the so-called dominant species. With that the big black and white Tom lay down by his friend, rolled on his side and was almost instantly asleep.